express worship is different and that it's good that in one room we have folks that could just let loose and be expressive hey, hey. and just go for it. I need to see that because for me, for me, having grown up, not all Asians are like this, but having grown up in an Asian American context where things were just kind of down. I need to see my brothers and sisters who, even though they go through some really hard times, they can declare that they trust Him. Like for me, I need to see that. I need to see that as, as a full expression of the body. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, and so my plea is for those of us who maybe somehow feel inhibited but you want to just say, God, even though I'm going through some stuff, I trust you. I want to be able to say, I don't feel silly saying this, but I want you to know that this is a safe space where you can do that. You can do that. So I thank Carlton and the worship ministry and others that bring forth different, not just expressions of worship, but also challenge and pull us to be quiet, to be still, to be loud, to be expressive, because that's the full picture of the kingdom and the church. So thank you for this song and the worship this morning. Yes. Thank you. Elvin. Elvin. <laughs> yes, he does. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, December has been a busy month of various announcements, um, and uh, I need to say a couple things up front. <laughs> up front. This is why I preach so long. I have to do these announcements up front. Um, you're supposed to laugh at that, but anyway. Um, real quick, uh, for those of you that don't have any places to go on Sunday, okay, um, or not on Sunday for Christmas, I want you to know that there's a a beautiful family in our church, a couple who've decided to open their home to invite anyone that wants to come, okay, to their home. So we don't have like an official church event for Christmas, um, and we pretty much just kind of rely on communities and small groups to do kind of their own thing, but there's a, a wonderful couple who decided to open their home this Saturday, this coming Saturday from 5 to 9 p.m. They're going to serve amazing meal and just... so. I didn't want to do the whole announcement. If you're interested, not just by yourself, but with the group of friends going, please come talk to me after the worship service, and I'll give you all the information. So this upcoming Saturday from 5 to 9 p.m., okay? Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, as, uh, as, as we've been announcing, small groups are launching in January, and we are desperately in need of leaders and new small groups. And I just want to give a short plug for those of you that have been praying about serving and being involved and and uh, other ways to engage the mission of this church. If you're someone that's been thinking and praying about leading a small group, just even an idea, Pastor Zox would love to love to talk to you. So please see him after the worship service and just dialogue with him about various opportunities out there for you to serve and engage, okay? And then lastly, for the last two Sundays, we've been challenging you to be a, a financial contributor to the life of this church. Can I just, I'm just gonna give you a big hand. I'm just gonna, you don't have to clap. I'm just gonna give you a big hand. Uh, it's amazing how you as a church respond. I don't know if you saw the bulletin, but last Sunday, almost about $33,000, which is more than two, three times what we've normally gotten has come in. This is for me, and by the way, that wasn't in the form of Christmas offering, which is what we've been challenging you to do. A Christmas offering is still relatively small, but it means a lot of you 
took on the challenge to say, you know, I don't want to just come show up. I want to be a contributing member of this church. And, and, and for, you to, for you to embrace the challenge and respond is just a blessing to me. Uh, this is why our church is what it is. So we want to thank you. I want to thank those of you that have decided to be a regular giver to the life of this church. For those of you that decided to commit to what you've already committed to giving members, I want to thank you. Uh, you know, I, I hate talking about giving and generosity without preaching about it because the reality is if you don't understand the biblical concept and principle, the whole generosity thing just doesn't make any sense. And so I always hesitate doing that because it's just going to come across the wrong way. But, but this morning, I, just, I was just reminded this week in one of my devotionals, Paul writing to actually the church in Macedonia as he challenges them to give. And he says this beautiful thing, which I think is a picture of the church, the kingdom. He says, hey, churches in Macedonia, right now your plenty will meet the need in Jerusalem. And at some point, see, their plenty will meet your need. If you picture the body as one in which we take care of each other. And the reason why I say that is because I personally know that families in our church that are going through financial hardship. And these are committed folks who want to give and to, and, and to contribute. But at this point, they can't. But a beautiful picture of the body is one in which we go, that's okay. Because right now, our plenty will meet your need. And at some point, we're going to be in need. We're gonna, that's the picture of the body. That's the picture of the body. And so, there are some of us who are in plenty, meaning you're not rolling and you're, you're plenty. God is taking care of you and you know you have room to give for sacrificial. This is time for you to step up, amen? Step up and give generously. And in doing so, you're essentially taking care of others in the body who are in need. It's a beautiful picture of the body. This is the reason why Acts chapter two, I think, says that the church, early church, had, there was no one in need. What does that mean? Those in plenty. Gave and took care of the needy. And at some point, the roles might be reversed. So thank you, church, for giving. Um, for those of you that want to, three simple ways. One, we are still wanting to basically shorten our budget gap. Give generously to a one-time gift for Christmas offering. The envelopes have been in your bulletins. I heard from uh, one, of, one, of our, one of our saints that he and his wife have that envelope at the kitchen table and they're just praying right now, Lord, what do you want us to give? What a beautiful posture. Pray. Go before the cross and ask, Lord, what do you want us to give? Secondly, as we've been challenging, we would love, love, love to enter 2018 with folks who are committed to giving more regularly. And if you're saying, I don't know where to give, start somewhere. Biblical principle is 10% of the tithe. But as I always say, that in this context, American context, I think is somewhat meaningless because there are people who can't give that much and it's sacrificial for them. And there are others of us Let's be real. We give 10%. doesn't affect our lifestyle one iota. And how do we challenge ourselves to simplify our lives so we can give more? Thank you, church. I want to encourage and challenge you. Continue to step up and embrace the call. We believe in you. Thank you for believing in the mission of this church. This morning, um, as, we, uh, as we spend the next two Sundays in the season of Advent, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Today's sermon is a one-point sermon. I never do one-point sermons. It has it is 20 sub-points, but it's just a one big one-point, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a one-point sermon. And it's in the title. It's in the title. I'm not big on sermon titles, but the title of this morning's sermon is Expectation or Expectancy. 
expectations or expectancy. Has this ever happened to you? You ever throw a surprise birthday party for somebody? Ever surprise, ever surprise birthday party for somebody? And, you know, you invite the friends and you get the room ready and the lights off and all that stuff. And the person walks in. Everybody says, surprise! And you know this person because you love this person. You married this person. And you're looking at them and you're looking at their reaction, right? And, 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 and immediately you could tell. They're grateful. They're somewhat appreciative. But you could tell. She ain't feeling it, or he's not feeling it. I'm just saying, right? And you could tell that they're not feeling it. And, 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 and if we're going to be really honest, and what you're feeling, what I'm feeling, what she's feeling at that moment is, is one of, oh, it's not the appreciation that I expected. It's not, it's not the overwhelming, ha oh, that I expected. And if we're really honest, you start to feel a little annoyed, Started to feel a little frustrated. And, and, and if I'm really, really honest, what's that other feeling? Oh, it's resentment. By the way, I'm not painting a realistic scenario that really happened. I'm just, it's hypothetical. <laughs> There's a saying in 12 steps. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Yeah, take pictures of that slide so you could post it on Facebook. I know y'all are doing it right now. I have lots of friends, folks in our church who've gone through 12 steps. They're some of the most dear, challenging, frankly, for me as a Christian because they have these truth bombs that just land. This is one of them. Expectations are premeditated resent. Means, which, means, which means that every time you and I put conditions under which we'll finally be happy or fulfilled or content, we're inevitably going to be let down. Why? Because, one, there is no human being on the face of the planet that will ever, ever meet the expectations that we have of them. Or worse yet, worse yet, even when they do meet the expectations, hello anybody, you do that. You come to that moment of, oh, that's it? Even if the expectations are met, there's this that enormous letdown of like, that's it? That's all? There. And if I'm really honest this morning, listen. Much of the bitterness and resentments in my life were the direct result of unmet expectations of people places and things. People, places, and things. Unmet expectations. I expect a certain thing and when they're not. Do you realize the enormous power we give to expectations? Do you realize how much power expectations exert influence in our lives? For some of us, we're enslaved to it. Expectations. And by the way, in case you're wondering, this isn't about, you know, not having any standards for people. We're keeping people accountable to things that are doing. I'm talking about you and I both. Oh, come on. Expectations that arise out of some need, some lack, this validation, this thing in us we know that could only be met by God. And when I have those kinds of expectations of people, places, and things, I inevitably set myself to be disappointed, 
And eventually bitterness and resentment grows. The other thing that happens by the expectations, I rarely live in the present, in the moment now. I'm constantly either living in the past. We're often, man, if it could just be, if things could just. I don't know. Can anybody relate this morning? The thing is, we don't just do this to people. We do this with who? We do this with God. Now, again, one point sermon, 20 sub points. <laughs> I'm just going to leave you with a question as you enter Advent and the rest of this year. I'm just warning you up front. This isn't going to be one of those, yeah, it's going to be one of those, hmm. We do this with God, church. For some of us this morning, our spiritual apathy, our spiritual apathy, our spiritual struggles are not disbelief in God, but disappointments with God. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe it's unexpected outcome to a certain situation. Maybe it's how life turned out, but things didn't quite turn out the way we expected. And we are sitting here this morning, and you're stuck spiritually. You're going, And if you're that and I'm that, you could really relate to what the first people who heard the birth of the Messiah were experiencing. Remember, for 2,000 years, the people of Israel have been waiting for this promise that was given to their father, Abraham. For 2,000 years, they waited for the birth of the Messiah who would come and, and, and save and deliver them and redeem them. But here's the context in which Christmas story takes place. Israel is under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire, and they are absolutely obliterated, spiritually, culturally, politically. There's no government to speak of. And everybody, everybody is living under a sense of oppression, evil, and injustice. And most common sense people are going, God's forgotten about us. God has completely forgot about us. And yet, the story of Christmas is God never forgets. God hasn't forgotten about you. God hasn't forgotten about me. Mary, the teenage Girl, peasant girl that hears the news, when she realizes what this means, she breaks out in a song. It's called the Magnificat. In Luke chapter 1, verse 54, she says, He has helped to serve in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his sentence forever, even as, everybody say, even as, even as he said to our fathers, just as. She's saying, the message of Christmas is that God never forgets. God always keeps his promises. God will always act in the world and in your life. Some of you and some of me came today in despair because of unexpected, unexpected prayers, maybe uh, closed doors, a rejection letter, things not quite working out. And all of us, maybe some of us, and you're saying, God has forgotten about me. God has forgotten about me. God has forgotten about me. And yet the message of Christmas is that God never forgets. Is that good news? He always remembers, but in his time. In his time. You never know when God will come. God will always show up. God will always show up, but you never know when God will come. Matter of fact, church, I have news for you. Often God will show up when we least expect it. See, the two human eye. It was the worst of times. 
for the nation of Israel. Everything in the life of Israel said, God has forgotten, God has forgotten, God has forgotten. Everything in the life of Israel said that, said that God, God, God is contradicting what he had ever promised. And God doesn't forget, God doesn't forget, but, 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 but in his time. And, and in his way. Has anybody experienced that God often shows up in ways that we don't expect? Anybody? Anybody? God always keeps his promises. He never forgets, but in his time and in his way. God always keeps his promises, but rarely does it in the way that we expect. This is one of the reasons why the religious leaders, and you've heard this story, just could not believe that Jesus was the Messiah because of the picture of the Messiah that they expected was more brave heart. White stallion descending from the sky. And they looked at Jesus and they said, we can't reconcile the two. Church, God never forgets. He'll always keep his promises, but in his time and in his way. Expectations. Expectations. Did you ever think about this? Think about the people that God entrusts to share the good news of the birth of the Messiah. Who are the first people to hear the birth of the Messiah's news? Do you remember? They are what? Shepherds. Shepherds, lowly despised. Shepherds, they get the news from the angelic hosts. And all of us for history get the news from the shepherds. We don't want the shepherds. We want the angels. Application? We often want God to speak to us through successes, but God often speaks to us through failures. Expectations. We often expect God to speak to us through life going well. That's when God is with me. Things are going well. And C.S. Lewis says what? You know this quote. How does God speak? God whispers in our pleasures. God speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Like Elijah, we expect God to speak to us through tornado, hurricane, earthquake, and yet God often speaks to us through what? A gentle whisper. Expectations? Expectations? And we often think that it's going to be successes and good things that's going to Drive us into God's arms. No, it's what? Failures, difficulties, hardships that drives us into his arms. How are you doing? How am I doing this morning? Can I just, can I just say on a side note? I've seen people, I've seen, listen, I've seen people stuck spiritually because of their expectations of how God speaks and how God moves. And you know what I often hear? What I often hear in their voice is this sense of nostalgia. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nostalgia about how God moved in the past and what God did in the past. And they're stuck because even, I think it's subconscious, they want God to kind of move in that way and speak to us in that way. And a lot of times they talk about when I was there and doing that. And I find, I don't know about you, that God rarely speaks and moves in the same way as he did. Do you know why? Because he wants to tell you and me, it wasn't that place. It wasn't that speaker. It wasn't those people. It wasn't even you. It was me. And that saying, God, me is with you now. Do you know how some of you right now are stuck spiritually? 
Because you're going at that conference and with those people and at that church, da, 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 and God moved. And God's going, do you think it was that church? Do you think it was that speaker? Do you think it was those people? Do you think it was even you? It was me. And some of you are just stuck spiritually because you're going, I expect God to do that. And the scary thing is, those things happen in this church, some of you. You know, three years ago, Peter, when I came here, four years ago when I came here, and God, is this resonating with anybody? Expectations or expectancy? So here's a question for you. This season of Advent, are you, with, are you waiting with expectations of God or expectantly for God? I'm going to jot this down somewhere. In this season of heaven, are you waiting with expectations of God or expectantly? Are you waiting expectantly for God? What are the differences? That's what the whole sermon is about. I'm going I'm to break this down. There's two Greek words. I'm going to get all nerdy on you, okay? Is that okay? I'm going to get all great nerdy on you. There are two Greek words that kind of illuminate the difference, okay? The first word, the first word is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed in us. Can anybody say amen to that? That's just a powerful verse. Verse 19, for creation waits in eager anticipation, or some of your Bibles say eager expectation, but the Greek word is apokaradokia. Let's all say this together. Apokaradokia. One more time. Apokaradokia, an eager anticipation for the children of God to be revealed. That word is three separate Greek words put together, and it literally means strained expectancy. Intense anticipation. Word picture, word picture. It's a runner who is about to finish his race and right by the finish line, he is what? And Paul is saying, our world right now is not the way it is. It's messed up, it's broken, it's filled with sin and evil and justice. But he says, a day is coming when all of creation is going to be redeemed, restored, and ruined. Is that good news to anybody? And he says, you and me, all of creation is what? It's, oh, oh, I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm leaning into that. I am anticipating. And by the way, he says, the culmination of restoration of all things is you and me. All of creation, physical creation, at some point is looking at you and me and going, you guys will be the culmination of God making everything new. Come on. And so the picture is, expectancy is not. Not. Not even. It's this. It's, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't even know how. But good will birth out of bad. Redemption will be birthed out of evil. Again, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I am le apokaradokia. The second word is found in Matthew 20, where Jesus preaches a parable. It's a parable of a, 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 a landowner who needs harvesters for his vineyard. So he goes out at first light, and he hires day laborers, day laborers, and he promises them a fair wage, which is a denarius each, one denarius each. Promise all of them. But then he does something weird, which is the next, he goes at the crack of dawn, and he hires more workers every three hours throughout the day. And at the end of the day, here's what this landowner does. He starts paying them all one denarius, starting with the guys that he hired the last, which means they only work one hour. So he starts paying them one denarius, so the guys that were hired first, that worked all day, 
say this in this parable. So when those came who were hired first, they ex- expected. That's the Greek word nomis. Everybody say nomis. Nomis. They expected to receive more. But each of them also received the denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowners. <laughs> the day laborers that are first expected to receive more, even though what was promised to them was a denarius. And the word nomis literally means this, to assume, to feel entitled, to feel owed. In other words, the first day laborers had a set image in their mind of exactly what was going to happen and how. And when they didn't get it, they basically said, why this? Why now? If it isn't this, if it isn't that, I'm done. Can I ask you something? Are you waiting with expectancy? I don't know what, I don't know how, I don't know when, but or this is not what I, this is not, this is not what I, this is not, this is not what I thought, this is not what was promised, this is not. You're sitting here, I'm sitting here this morning. And again, our spiritual struggle, and I might be wrong, I fully, I'm wrong a lot of times, I might be, I don't think I am on this one. Our spiritual apathy struggle for some of us is not just downright, I'm in the gutter sinning. Some of us, our struggle is not unbelief. I'm telling you, it's unmet expectations. It's unmet expectations of God. By the way, I'm staring at some of you. Some of you are emotional at this because... Somehow, you started leaning... Bright eye pushes tail. I don't know how, I don't know when, but no. And then somehow that expectancy shifted to expectation. And it wasn't met. And you're sitting there going, What? If you're hearing me, I need you to say, I hear you. I didn't say agree with me. I'm just saying, I hear you. I, By the way, this sermon is not just for this Advent. This is for all of 2018. All of 2018. And I'm going to come back to this. I might even say this every Sunday. I might go, are you waiting expectantly for God? Or are you here waiting with expectations of God? I don't know. I might just do that. You want to hear some good news? The good news is that God can meet us in our disappointments. The good news is that God, God, the kind of God that we have, it's not who's going to mirror your, your arms are folded, God's going, I do that too. We don't have that God. We have a God, you might be sitting there going, my arms are folded because I'm disappointed. We have a God who goes, I can meet you right where you are. Even when your disappointments are with me and what I have done, what I have not done, I am willing to meet you and counter you, but, 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 you need to get this. This is where we're going. When you look in the Gospels, there's one thing that separated those who encountered God and walked away changed and those who didn't. Do you know what that was? You may have guessed it. Did you come expectantly or did you come with expectations? Because any time somebody in the Gospels came with expectations for God, they every time walked away disappointed. But when somebody 
Doesn't matter if their life was in the gutter. It doesn't matter if your life, I'm telling, read the gospel. It doesn't matter if you were playing outside the gates of hell. When you came to God with expectancy, Jesus says, I could forgive you. I could love you. Luke, more than anybody else, Luke, more than anybody else, is constantly saying, here are the people who are open and willing to receive the message of the gospel. Here are the, here are the people. Here are the people, more than anybody. And Luke paints a picture. It's the shepherds. It's the poor. It's the uneducated. It's women. It's, it's the despised. It's the marginalized. It's the, it's the outcasts of society. Luke is constantly saying, more than any other gospel, they're the people that get it. They're the people that get it. They're the people that get it. And as I've always said, it's not about if you're rich, you'll never be open to the gospel. And if you're poor, you will always. It's not about rich or poor, educated or uneducated. It's about a posture in life that says, either I have what it takes to make it in life or I don't and I need a savior. The thing that causes some people to be open to the gospel and not is that posture that says, I have what it takes to make it in life or I don't, I need a savior. And the reality is, and history bears this out, you guys. History bears this out. The more educated you are, the wealthier you are, the more powerful you are, the more you have what it takes to make it in the world, the more difficulty you have in believing that you can't come to God on your own. I can't come to God on my own. You know what the message of Christmas is? The message of Christmas is you can't get to heaven, so heaven had to come to you. Think about this. The message of Christmas, you and I couldn't get to heaven. Heaven came down to us. We needed to be rescued, not helped. Come on, somebody. We didn't need to be helped. You know, Jesus, I need a little help to, you know, kind of get over the top. You and I were dead in our sins. We needed to be rescued. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We needed more than a second chance. We needed a second birth. And salvation requires that you and I acknowledge our inability, our moral bankruptcy, that we need a savior to truly encounter God, to truly encounter God. You and I have to admit, God, I don't have what it takes. God, I don't need just help. I need to be rescued. I don't need just a second chance. I need a second birth. And you know what the Bible calls it? The Bible calls that repentance, repentance. It's coming to grips with our moral bankruptcy, with our inability, and looking at ourselves. It's coming to grace, coming and throwing ourselves at the grace and mercy of God. That's what repentance Repentance is. And some of us will never come to that place unless we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And some of us will never come to that place until we come to the end of ourselves. Some of us will never come to that place until there's a bottoming out experience. I can't tell you how often I talk to people in our church. The catalytic moment transformation is they go to this, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I have bottomed out. Because some of us, that's the only thing that causes us to go, I don't just need help, I need rescue. But do you know what precedes repentance? You'd be surprised what precedes repentance. It's not guilt, it's not shame, although those things are right there. Do you know what precedes repentance? Do you know what prompts this kind of repentance? Where's it, Paul? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? 
Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Can I get an amen for that verse? It's his kindness that's intended. In other words, the root of repentance, the thing that catalyzes repentance is hopeful expectancy. The thing that causes someone to repent, say, God, I am in need of a Savior, is hopeful expectancy. It's the belief that God is willing to forgive and love. It's the spark in the soul that says God could cause good to come out of bad. God could cause life to come out of death. God could cause this thing right here that is a mess and bring something redemptive out of it. The thing that causes you and me to repentance is God's kindness. It's expectancy. It's hope. So the opposite of expectancy is not cynicism, apathy. Those come later. The opposite of expectancy is expectations. I'm owed. I'm entitled. I deserve. Why this? Why that? Why now? Do you see why people that walked away transformed and changed? It didn't matter if your life was in the gutter. I'm serious. Read the Gospels. The worst of sinners. It wasn't their sins that kept them from them. They could come to Jesus. But if they came with hopeful expectancy, which led to repentance, Jesus, forgiveness, love. But anybody that came and said, I determine, I set the terms, I set the conditions, this, then, now. Walked away. Disappointed. Expectations closes you up to God. Expectancy opens you up to God. By the way, this isn't just how you get saved. It's every day after. What do I mean? Can I just share a story with you? I've preached in many different places, many different kinds of people. I kid you not. There are some places when I went to speak... I didn't have to say a word. I could have just been like, Jesus. People would have been like, yes! I kid you not. I kid you not. Matter of fact, I wanted to shut my mouth because I'm going, there is, listen, such spirit of expectancy. There is such attitude of hunger and thirst here of people going, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm going to encounter God. He's going to show up. I don't determine it, but I... And all I did was just show up and go, Jesus loves you. Ah. Then there were places where I could have been more anointed than Paul the Apostle, and nothing happened. Do you know why? Let me let Jesus speak for you on why. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 20. A land, uh, <laughs> I, I preach without my notes. You guys know that, right? So I'm on like page one when I'm on page six. Anyway, Matthew 13, 58. And Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Even the Son of God could not do anything in some places because there's no sense of expectancy that God could do anything. I'm going to ask you a question, and I need you to be honest. 
When you come here on Sundays, do you come with any sense of expectancy? When you come on Sundays, do you come with any sense? Oh, this is... I'm about to, just, I'm about to explode right now. When you come on Sundays, when I, when I come on Sundays, is there, and again, it's not, Peter, my life isn't the gutter. I haven't heard the Bible in 10 years. It has nothing to do with that. Your life could be in the gutter. But if you come with any sense of expectancy, God will meet you. God will meet you. He will meet you. But if you come on Sunday mornings with zero, Expectancy. Why would you expect God to meet you? Why? Again, he doesn't, he doesn't ask for much. Can I say that? Can I say that? He doesn't. He simply says, I know you're a beggar. I know you're spiritual in the gods. I know you're mortally bankrupt. I don't want you to come. I just simply need you to come and say, I'm an utter mess, but I'm just coming. See, for some of us, I'm going to be real. I'm going to get real. For some of us, the challenge is, but Peter, I don't want to come with expectancy because I don't want to be disappointed. But may I remind you that often the whole, I don't want to be disappointed, underneath that is expectations of how we want God to move and what he needs to do and the way he needs to do it for me to go, yes. You encounter me today. What if you and I just simply came? Terrible week. I haven't read the Bible in months. Whew, dust on my Bible. I haven't prayed. Matter of fact, what I did last night, I'm ashamed to admit. But what if we simply came as we are and said, Jesus? I don't come with any expectations of what I think you ought to do and how. I just come and say, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when, but I'm here. I'm here. I need you to do something. I don't, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to determine. Apokaradokia. Not no miss. What if? By the way, if you're a Stuck, because you're going, you could preach until you're blue in the face, brother, but I ain't unfolding my arms. You could preach until you're blue in the face, but I, you're in good company, because there's a guy in the Bible, there's a dude, it's always a dude, there's a dude in the Bible who, who, you know, who's, you know, yeah, it's always a, who, 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 who had expectations of the Messiah, but when he realized he might not meet them, it led to a crisis of faith. Do you know who that is? His name is John the Baptist. Do you know that? There's a story. Let me take you. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Some of you read this and whoop, you pop boo right by. John 7, 18. And John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you, are you the one to come? Are you, are you Messiah? Are you really Messiah? Or, 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 or should we expect someone else? Matthew's account of this says, tells us that John is in prison. Why? 
is he called out Herod. And the one good to call out Herod. He calls out Herod. He's in prison. He knows he's going to die. Listen to this. John the Baptist is the guy that said, prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way for the Lord. He's in prison about to die. And he asks his disciples, say, I don't know if he's the one. Go ask him. This is John the Baptist. Which means if he can go through this, you and I, you better believe it. He says, ask him. And by the way, can I just say one thing? Give me like 30 seconds on this. Do you notice that the question is not, are you the one? And should we stop looking? The question is, are you the one or should we keep looking? Do you know what that means? That means that if you turn away from Jesus, you are not going to stop looking for another Jesus. You think, ah, if it's not Jesus, I'm going to, no, your heart is wired. You will search for the rest of your life for another Jesus figure. You will search all of your life for another Jesus. But friend, can I say, will that Jesus be as forgiving, as beautiful, as gracious? The crisis of faith, you could just see the, dis hear the disappointment in John, like, I, I, are you the one? Are you really the Messiah? Why? It is it's not because, listen, this is important. It's not because Jesus failed to meet the popular expectations of the Messiah that everybody else expected. For John, it was because Jesus failed to meet his personal expectations of what the Messiah would do. John expects a miracle to come his way. John expects, I want to get out of jail. I don't want to die. John expects the good news that's being proclaimed to the poor to come to him. John expects. Jesus disappoints him. He doesn't get out of jail. He will eventually die. In the midst of it, John goes, wait a minute. I've served you all my life. I'm sent in jail. I proclaim preached the gospel to Herod. And I'm about to die? Literally, my head's going to be on a platter? His expectancy shifted expectations. Let me finish the story for you. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And he says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, tell John that things are happening, but not the way he prescribes or imagines. Tell him that blessed is that person who doesn't get so locked into his expectations of the Messiah that he is tempted to walk away when those expectations are not met. Blessed is he who comes with expectancy. <laughs> you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded that you and me are very much like John. Do you remember how John began? He's in his mama's belly, Elizabeth. Do you remember? 
And when he hears the news from Mary, do you remember? He left, he left, he left in his mother's womb. Was so his apokaradokia. Then do you remember as he's doing his ministry, he sees Jesus and says, there he is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Apokaradokia. And Jesus says, you need to baptize me. He goes, no, 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 not what I expected. I know, but you need to. So against his expectations, he baptized Jesus, spirit falls. Father says, I'm pleased with him. When John approached Jesus with expectancy, never walked away disappointed, but somehow Epicaradokia shifted to nomis, and nomis leads to a crisis of faith. Your spiritual apathy and deadness, my spiritual apathy and deadness, might not be because we're under God. It may be because we're coming and saying, this, that, now, when? <sighs> and finish the story. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Well, what, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the, by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No! Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are, are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, Jesus essentially turns to the people there and he sells them what John is struggling with, which is, he says, what were your expectations of the prophet? And now that they're shattered, what are you going to do? See, it turns out that not everybody wanted to hear from God or everybody wanted to hear from God as long as God said what they wanted to hear. As long as God said what they didn't want to hear, they said, no, 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 no. Cece, come on up. <sighs> Question. Church, can you just look up here for two minutes? Just look up here. E e even, even if it's hard for you, because I need to, I need to see you face to face. I, I want to imagine I'm sitting in a coffee shop with you right now, okay? I don't usually yell this loud when I'm in a coffee shop, but I want to, because I don't want to just preach now. I want to speak to your soul. Here's, here's my question. Are you, are you right now, not just the season of heaven, but next year, are you, is your posture one of expectations of God or expectancy for God to move? Expectancy has at its roots a core disbelief in the promise that God never forgets his promises. Never. He'll always show up. But in his time and his way. And oftentimes the way he does it, we probably won't know until we're in the middle of it. Hello, somebody. And by the way, if you think expectancy is someone who's in there going, ah, I'm waiting, expect. No! Expectancy isn't passive. Expectancy is leaning. It's saying, I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm waiting, I'm creating space. God's going to move. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know where. I don't know with who. But I'm waiting. But I'm waiting. Expectancy says God's silence is not his absence. Expectancy says God's silence is not his absence. And God's hiddenness is not his abandonment. Expectancy says circumstances don't determine whether God is with me. Some of you are in circumstances where everything is going well. God could not be far, further away from that. Some of you are in circumstances where you're going, where is God? And I want to encourage you, look at the cross. Whenever you wonder, how the heck could God be in this muck? Look at the cross. 
expectancy doesn't determine by my circumstances. No, no, no. It's rooted in God's character. I know who he is. You know who he is. We've seen him again and again and again. Expectancy says something good is going to happen. I don't know, but I'm here to welcome it. Expectation says this specific thing must happen for me to welcome it. It must be this. It must be now. It must be that. I have people that ask me, Peter, I've been asking God for something. He's just not answering. You know what I say to them? I go, that's because you're, you're not asking God questions. You're giving God demands. Why are you waiting for an answer when no question has been asked? It's okay to go, God, when? God, how? God, where? But in your way, in your time. Let me finish with this story. A Sunday school teacher told her seventh, uh, seven-year-old kids them what it means to accept Jesus. And at the end of her little lesson, she gave all of them a piece of paper and pencil and said, if you want to accept Jesus, write on the piece of paper, I accept Jesus. And all the kids did, except one kid. One kid didn't write, I accept Jesus on the note. One kid, sounds like my Noah. He wrote, I expect Jesus. He gets it. someone you don't trust, someone you trust, you will go to the ends of the earth with them. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? The one who said, I'm not going to give you a description of what this is going to look like. I just simply need you to fix your eyes on me and just follow. Just trust. Just follow. Just trust. In this world, you will. You will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Take heart. Take heart.